It's Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio. Oh, I can't believe it. This week has gone so fast. I'm really excited, though, because we're getting closer and closer to planting season on our farm. And with that, it brings a lot of questions. So what great timing for a Farmer Friday to come. So in the Morton studio today, we'll be taking your calls and questions all throughout the show at 844-44-AG-PHD. We've had a number of questions come in via email. Our email box is radio at agphd.com. We'll get to those questions and any more that pop up during the show on today's program as well. So lots to talk about here. And again, feel free to give us a call. This is your shot. You know we're here. You know we're going to take your call. Uh, so if you got a question, we'd love to help. All right, so I'm Brian Hefty, along with my brother Darren there. We are live in the Morton studio on a Farmer Friday, so if you want to call in, 844-44-AG-PHD. Let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag right now. It's the mailbag! All right, Brian, you want to start with soils and work our way out from there? I, I don't care, whatever you got there. All right, well, we're going to get to it anyway, so just we'll get started. All right, I got two copies of the email, so I'll send that with you uh, as well. So this is from Mark up in Manitoba. So first off, guys, really appreciate the show. Uh, thanks for keeping it positive, too. Really appreciate that. So my question for you today starts around sulfur. I just started applying elemental sulfur to my hay fields in 2019. As most of my lighter land either shows almost no sulfur on the test, uh, we have an e, uh, exchange capacity of 12 to 14. That's what we call sand up here in Manitoba. My better land, where the Canada exchange capacity around 20 or 30, has Calcium already in the 75 to 80 and magnesium in the 15 to 18, potassium levels around 2%. So I've been building my potassium levels with manure while applying elemental sulfur to try to, try to bring the other cations down. My question is, if I can't invest in all my acres at once, do you think it's better to focus my sulfur dollars to bring up the very low sulfur in these low potential areas or put my dollars toward further improving my high calcium and magnesium soils, but better profitability areas. For context, my average rainfall, uh, I can grow two to three times as much hay on the better pieces of ground versus the poorer ones. Well, here's the good news. Crop prices, hay prices are high this year, so you can afford a lot of things. I know fertilizer prices are terrible, but nevertheless, you got to look at if I can invest a few dollars in fertilizer, and I can gain a few extra dollars above and beyond that, you're in great shape. So I would just say, yeah, first of all, I'm, I'm probably always going to focus on my best ground that's making me tremendous money in a year like this year. Awesome. We want to make sure that we don't have issues there. But on this poorer ground, you just never know. I mean, when you talk 12 to 14 CEC, we'd call that a medium textured soil. And if you get even just some rain through the course of the growing season, you could still have pretty good hay there as well. So you don't want to run yourself too short on things. And when I look at sulfur and I see, like on one test here, you have two parts per million of sulfur. Two. Two. Um, you got to get some more out there somehow, some way. So whether that's sulfate, sulfur, However you want to do it, just get some more sulfur and or, sul, and or sulfate out there somehow, some way. Generally speaking, that's going to pay off. The other big thing that it does, when you have good levels of sulfur, then your nitrogen gets used more efficiently. So you, what I'm saying is you don't need as much nitrogen to accomplish the same thing. Or put it another way, the same amount of nitrogen you've used before can now get you higher yields and more tonnage. So... 
sulfur is super important. And I, I'm always going to tell you, focus N, P, and K. You got to put your dollars there first. But boy, sulfur really ties into that nitrogen thing a tremendous amount. So at least be getting some sulfur out. Let's and and let me leave you with one last thought. Okay, if you say, look, I can't afford everything. All right, at least on a few acres, do spend your money on everything. So at least then you know, okay, how much would I have gained from that expense? So then in the future, when you run into the same situation, you don't sit there and say, well, I, you know, I cut my rates before, I'll just cut them again and we'll see what happens and hope for the best. So anyway, my suggestion is at least do some experiments and then you're going to learn a lot more. Yeah, thanks for the questions, Mark. I really appreciate that. And good job getting some soil sampling done on your farm to get a better handle on what's going on out there. Got this question that came in from Bradley, and he said, I've got ragweed, mare's tail, and water hemp, as well as some other things like grass that Roundup will kill. I want to do a spring burn down to kill the mare's tail and add residual to keep water hemp at bay. I'm using the Roundup to kill cover crop wheat and 2,4-D to kill mare's tail. Just wondering, which of the three pre's uh, you'd recommend putting down earlier to hold back the water hemp? If you say to use metribuzin earlier, will that impact my pre-burn down with gramoxone? And no. if so, what would you do different? Uh, and then also, could you comment on AIM herbicide? It's a PPO. Just wondering, is that going to create any issues with using authority in soybeans? Where is he from? It uh, doesn't say. Well, here, here's my question. Why do we need two, uh, two different trips? So plant your beans. If anything will grow, it's time to plant is usually my advice. So if on our farm weeds are growing, that means it's time to plant. So I don't. I don't understand the logic of, oh, I'm going to burn down twice. That doesn't make sense to me. Just go plant earlier. At least do it on a few acres and find out. Because typically early planting means more yield, more profit, and better weed control because now you have crop canopy on that acre, so you get to spend less money on herbicides. So I'm trying to help you make more money and spend less money. But, I mean, if you wanted to do two shots of pre-emerge herbicides, you certainly can. You can do whatever you would like to do. And putting metribuzin out early does not hurt gramoxone later on. You can you can definitely do that. I would say of the three pre's we talk about, one is metribuzin. Two is either valor or authority, a PPO. Okay, so two is the PPO category. And three is a yellow. Well, the yellows and the PPOs are going to last a long time. So if you put those out once, you do not need to put them out again. Now, you might want to bump the rate just a little bit, but you don't need to put them out again. Metribuzin, on the other hand, think of it similar to atrazine. It's in the same chemical family. It can leach. So if you got lots of rain and light soil, you could lose that metribuzin over a month or two with lots of rain. So I would just tell you um, I'd be fine using the PPO and the yellows early, and maybe keep my rate up, and then I do my metribuzin together with gramoxone, but my, my best suggestion still is do it all in one shot. Uh, oh, and AIM is a PPO, just burn down activity. Pretty good to add with something like Roundup. Stay tuned, we'll be right back. Soybean growers are dealing a swift blow to tough broad leaves and grasses with the two-in-one power of Moccasin MTZ. Moccasin MTZ combines the power of s metolachlor and a higher load of Metribuzin for outstanding weed control right from the outset with extended residual control to keep tough weeds down, including pigweed, water hemp, ragweed, and mare's tail. In addition to annual grasses like boxtail and barnyard grass, ask your retailer about Moccasin MTZ and always read and follow label directions. What do you think of when you hear Palmer Amaranth or Water Hemp? 
If you use Fierce Herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of Fierce Herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. Ag PhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our infield research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. Makes life simple, and it's the secure choice. With powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. Our phone lines will be open throughout the show at 844-44-AG-PHD. And you can always email us, radio at agphd.com. Let's head over to Wisconsin. we got Zach on with us right now. Zach, how are you doing today? Good. How are you guys today? We're doing pretty well. Doing pretty well. So when does when does planting season start in your neck of the woods? Um, Last couple of years, we've been pretty dry early spring. So it's been that last week of april early first week of may or so on average we're trying to get planted by 15th of may for sure sure yep yep i know it. lord willing right if if uh, the rain holds off and breakdowns stay away all those kinds of things it's and that's what a lot of people don't understand like man farmers got big equipment now yeah because we got this tight little window i mean i'm thinking in wisconsin your your ideal window probably is before may 15th isn't it yeah yeah we really we definitely like to be. Um, sometimes we still got to push the envelope with a little bit cold, but um, I don't know. It seems like the seed treatments nowadays and the hybrids have came a long ways. We're, we're really striving for that 50 degree soil temp, but I've seen guys that have pushed the envelope and they've seen to come out just fine. So, yeah, I think you're right. Things things have certainly changed. There's no doubt about that. We've got a lot of a lot of tools at our disposal now that that our ancestors did not have. So that's kind of nice. How about on the tillage end? Do you do tillage on your farm? And if so, are you doing any this spring? Um. Well, we were no till for the last three or four years now. Um, we did chisel some stuff last fall, but we still got some no till ground. We're going to do some real good side by sides this year, um, and really see. I wasn't super ecstatic about our no-till yields last year, but um, it was a real, real dry spring, and we had some cover crops out there that I think up, sucked up some of the moisture as well. So we're gonna, just going to do some trials again this year and see once what uh, what's definitely going to work best for us. Man, you brought up a great point there, Zach, with the cover crops. And uh, I know with the dry conditions out our way, too, you guys have talked about that, about terminating in the fall really paid. And, and other years where we've been wet in the spring, guys have said, man, we've been great letting it go through. So there's definitely a lot of art to that, no doubt about it. Yeah, and we're 
we definitely have not even been close to mastering the art yet. So we're 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 experimenting every single year is what the what we're always up to. All right. So is it corn and soybeans on your farm? Or are you doing any other crops this year? Uh, we got corn, beans, and then uh, we actually have a, quite a bit of wheat planted this year. Um, we have a lot of it contracted, but we're we're gonna push it to the envelope and see once if we can capture some of this higher prices right now so yeah yeah what a great year to have wheat out there too so in in that part of your rotation do you normally raise some wheat just this year you have more acres of it yeah yeah usually we always try and raise um it's usually only a 40 or 50 acres of wheat a year but this year we bumped it up to 100 um just because we found a good market for it and um got a dairy down the road that's committed to buying the straw so we're in pretty tight now and we like growing wheat. It's, it breaks up the fall time, and we can get some some tiled drainage projects done in summertime after wheat, and it just seems to work better that way. Oh, that's a great strategy. Yeah, that's that's going to be fun. Uh, well, Zach, great talking to you here. Hopefully, uh, hopefully conditions are ideal as you get into planting here, just right around the corner. Awesome. I appreciate it, and same to you guys. You bet. Thanks. Let's head over to Kansas. Get Shane out with us right now. Okay. Shane, Shane, how you doing? I'm real good. How are you doing today? Pretty good. Pretty good. I hear uh, fertilizer costs are a big topic down in your area. They are up here, too. We just were pricing uh, for some spring needs, and my goodness, it's uh, it's not really pretty. No, no. It really it really makes you question, you know, am I, am I going to go ahead and, and, and shoot for the fences? Is it going to rain? Uh, beings like our farm is all non-irrigated so you know there are some some hot topics and some big questions uh we're putting on right now and i i believe you know it was it was a really really smoking deal 13.95 a ton so <laughs> we have issues over here sure Wow. Yeah, it's it's uh, crazy where these price levels are at, no doubt about that. So did it change anything for you? I mean, I'm, I'm assuming uh, the wheat uh, that the guy's top dressing, you're still hoping that it turns out okay, that you're not saying, man, I hope it just dies so I can put soybeans in the ground. You aren't that way, are you? Uh, no, not at all, actually. Um, we, we are really dependent on our wheat and our wheat markets. Um, it's still in a rotation, a two out of three rotation with our sorghum and our uh, our winter wheat. So now uh, we we are still hoping, and with these showers we've been picking up and this past snow that was really really wet snow, um, it's just enough to keep things looking, you know, cautiously optimistic. Let's just say that. But I'm standing out here looking at the wheat right here, and I'm really happy with. You're right. Precision Ag has definitely got a home, and and uh, fortunately, we've got a great market opportunity this year that, man, we could actually make some money if we get the right inputs in the right spots, but 
thirteen hundred dollar anhydrous. Boy. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, I mean that, and and as far as to, to be able to pass that on to the consumer, that's really hard. Yeah. In agriculture, it's it's really hard to just say, okay, this is how it, this is how it's going to be. It just doesn't work like that. Um, this is a little bit different industry, I guess, than, than some people uh, see. But you know, it just makes it really hard. And, and as far as the fluctuation in the markets and all of the you know, inconsistency and, and sustainability being such a catchword the last year. So the things we're seeing right now, I, I don't really know if any of this seems sustainable. So this may be a very interesting year. Yeah, no doubt about that. Yeah, there's a lot of big decisions on a global uh, scale, and of course, our, our country's got a lot of big decisions to make too. So we'll we'll see. It looks like there could be a couple of years of opportunity here for farmers, as long as the inputs don't eat us up for lunch. That's correct, absolutely. Uh, but you know, uh, people like my dad's age, they talk about the '80s. So um, I know that there, there have been a few generations of farmers. They know what it takes to to pull your wings in and, and just stay just as, as low pro as you can and, and just go out and keep on trucking and, and keep producing the crops. That's all we can do. We just have to keep trying. Yeah, and honestly, turning off the news and just focusing on your farm is a pretty good strategy too. At least, at least you aren't getting all those negative messages from all over. That's that's a good good thing to take a break from now and then. Right, right. Now, just standing out here in the sunshine today, this is a breath of fresh air. I'm ready to go back to work, ready to get uh, get the planters out, you know, ready to see some some new life. Seeing this wheat coming coming around after winter and, and seeing it green up, that always makes you feel better, makes your spirits better. You bet. Uh, you know, you can see that we do have some growth and that, yeah, it may be a rough one, but we're going to get through it. You bet. You bet. Well, thanks so much, Shane. Really appreciate having you on. Glad to hear the wheat's looking good, and, and good luck to you. Hopefully you guys catch the moisture heading into planting season, too. Yes, sir. We can we can use all that'll come to us, so I appreciate it. Thank you very much. You bet. Thanks. Uh, Brian, got a little feedback. We were talking about driverless tractors the other day, and, and Lee said, Brian, I agree with you about the operator station, even just to have it for diagnosis. I put auto steer on my tractor this year, and the reduced fatigue is a real thing. It's really been worth it, even just for that. And yep, uh, that's, Dave, that's what pretty much everybody has said over the years. And Dave had a similar comment. He said, that's the truth. I used to be flat worn out after planting all day, so worn out I couldn't drive my truck very well home. So really happy to have uh, some of the new technologies and in, in equipment. Yeah, it's it's so much nicer being a farmer today. You look at the equipment that our forefathers got to use and no cabs and, and even no tractors, if you want to go back a little bit further. Uh, so much easier today, but there's still a lot of hard work and a lot of long hours coming up for farm operations across North America as planting season arrives in different parts of, of uh, North America. We'll talk more about Farmer Friday questions coming up right after this. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. 
Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe this spring with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at HeadsUpST.com. The first name and last word in weed control in heavier, higher organic soil types is Authority Edge Herbicide from FMC. This proprietary combination of actives outperforms the competition, delivering up to 14 more days of residual control. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. Authority Edge Herbicide may not be registered for sale or use in all states. Every week for more than two decades, AgPhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more, all designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Improve germination in your fields with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our unique spike design seals your seed within a firm vein of soil, providing maximum seed-to-soil contact and maximum germination. Order a set for your planter at farmshopmfg.com. If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. <sighs> Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. Learn more at caseih.com farmall. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Martin Studio on a Farmer Friday, taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Let's head out to North Carolina. we get Jimmy on with us right now. Jimmy, how's it going? Uh, going pretty good. How about you today? You know what? It's a, it's a windy one here, and we're getting close to planting season, so it's a good day to be inside in the shop. <laughs> yeah, we... Uh... We're about two weeks from planting, and we've been kind of wet last two or three weeks, so we've been doing our final tune-ups the last couple of weeks trying to get everything ready to roll. You bet. All right, so what goes in first? When you say you're two weeks away from planting, what will be the first crop that goes in? We plant uh, corn first. We'll be planting corn, and at the same time, we'll be trying to get our tobacco land bedded ready to go. And then about the last week in April, we'll start planting soybeans. And then in the 1st of May, we'll start planting tobacco. Okay. 
Yeah, that soybean window. That's you're you're actually right on about the same schedule we are. We're hoping to be planting about the tenth of April here if conditions are fit and the corn, and then uh, about the twenty fifth of April is about when the beans get rolling. So not too much different than over here. No, that's exactly where we're at. Um, we have, of course, we're a little bit behind on field work. We had a real nice fall, and we got a lot of a lime out, and did real good with a lime. And we got most of our potash out, but this spring we hadn't been able to get any of our phosphorus out. Um, with the price of fertilizer this year, we kind of changed up our procedures and going to a lot stricter variable rate program where we're putting just exactly what it calls for and really not a lot of extra. So we had been in the past putting a blend out and, you know, trying to hit the highs and lows and just trying to save a trip across the field that, you know, $300 fertilizer really won't a big deal. But now fertilizer is $600 a ton. We really are uh, cranking down on efficiencies and trying to, you know, trying to get by one year. And, you know, hopefully all this will be played out in 24 months and we'll get back to a little more normal. You know, this all same thing happened in 2008, nine, so. Yep, we've seen it up here, and we've seen it come back. So we got to be optimistic and hope that this thing will straighten itself back up. When you were a kid, Jimmy, were you like me? You'd hear Dad and Grandpa talking about, "Man, this is just like back in '55," or this. You know what I mean? They'd always go back to those years. You're going back to 2008 now. Uh, I thought, what in the world are those guys talking about? But now I get it. It, it really does. There really are cycles. Yeah, and, you know, in North Carolina, the big thing was 53 and 54 was extremely dry, and the tobacco crop was really late, and then it, that fall, it snowed on a lot of the tobacco, which is very unusual. We had a really dry year, and then a early winter come in, so, but I guess this, you know, the guys that's mine, your age, I think we're about the same age, you know, that's one advantage we have is, hindsight where some of these younger guys that never farmed without roundup yep or some of those tools that made it so much easier you know they don't understand and you know they never sold corn for two dollars a bushel and beans for five and thought they'd hit a home run so <laughs> you know we got a lot of experience that they haven't had the opportunity to use yet yeah well i hope they don't have to go through all the experiences that we've been through but you know it it just comes around and and there's going to be good times there's going to be bad times but uh you know here we go we're in one of these times where we got an opportunity to make money but the input costs are really high too so i love what you're doing with that variable rate fertilizer i think that's super smart and we're looking at you know find other places stay where they are Next year, of course, it's too late to do anything this year. You just can't get any supplies. The next year, we're going to probably go to abandon where we can cut maybe 20% of our fertilizer needs down by abandon beside the seed row. So we're going, to, we're going to stay on top of this game, and we're going to get a procedure together where we can stay in business. You bet. You bet. Well, that sounds like a great plan, Jimmy. And uh, hopefully you guys, I guess, dry out just a little bit. We we could sure take any of that extra moisture you got. We're, we're hoping to catch a little bit of moisture here. Brian thinks we're good until after we get everything in the ground. But I'd feel a lot better if we caught an inch or two of rain between now and then. Yeah, I'll, we do uh, We do basically mostly no-till. And I always like the no-till on the dry side. And 
I really never like no tilling on the a little bit on the wet side, but right now we a little bit on the wet side, but we got back today doing starting some burn down. We do a pre plant burn down on all our no till land and we able to get back in the field. We got a sprayer with big floater tires, so you know, we, we still got two weeks before we start planting and yeah. you know, we can spray do burn down and we can probably get back Monday, Tuesday putting out some phosphorus and we got a little more lime to get out so you bet you know we ain't critical yet because you know really the soil is a little heavy when you're putting out nutrients and stuff it's not a big deal the big deal is when you get closing that fur up around them seed that's when you gotta be so careful yeah absolutely well good luck to you jimmy thanks for talking with us today really appreciate it and stay safe this spring all right thank you you bet Head over to Western Illinois. You got Matt on with us right now. Matt, how's it going? Pretty good, Darren. How are you? Not too bad. So Jimmy says he's two weeks away from planting. How about you? Well, I'm actually at our Arkansas farm right now, and it's a uh, it's a little wet down here. But um, Illinois, we're probably two to three weeks away. Uh, we got pretty good rain and some snow, and so we'll just uh, let it go for a few more weeks. It looks like. So I've had other guys ask me, Matt, after you've been on and said, wait, he's farming in Arkansas. Now he has been farming in Illinois. Why would you leave there? Arkansas is not that much better, is it? Oh, I wouldn't say it's better. It's just different. So. <laughs> yeah. Spread things out different a little bit. Different different everything, yeah. All right. So what do you think about what Jimmy was saying? That variable rate fertilizer and just trying to manage the farms closer. I know you guys have been working on a lot of that stuff for a while. What, what do your results look like? Well, I mean, I, I I think we're relatively sold on the on the idea of the variable rate. You know, we've we've modified our our way of doing it some here and there, and uh, we've changed how we use it. You know, our variable rate fertility program is more now to to top up the stuff that we do consistently across every acre. Um, in the past, had been you know that may have been our whole fertility program, and now it's it's just kind of a small part of it because uh, we do a lot of different stuff now. So. Uh, not that there's anything wrong with it. We just, uh, we've modified it to, uh, account for our starter fertilizer programs and all that, all of that, all of those other things. Sure. Sure. Uh, now you mentioned the different differences, uh, between Arkansas and Illinois. Is it a big difference on the planter? Do you have to make some major adjustments moving from one to the other? Uh, we don't, um, we don't move any equipment first off just for a lot of reasons, but there's not a whole lot of difference between our Arkansas planter and Illinois one. Um, obviously in Arkansas, you know, largely we're planting on beds. Um, so that's a mounted planter versus a pull type. But as far as the actual row unit and the meter and all that stuff, we're using basically the same system in both places. Okay. Well, that makes it a little easier to jump in equipment at one versus the other. That's kind of nice. That's Yeah, absolutely. That's definitely a benefit of it. All right, talk to me one one last question for you because I know you were talking to me way back when about this seven to ten uh, bushels per thousand seeds with corn. Where do you find most of your corn fields at? Are you in that window? Or are you towards the ten now, or do you guys like to plant a little more population or closer to the seven? Well, on the on the so long as it's dry land, I you know I don't get I get a little uncomfortable with trying to stretch it much much past eight or nine. Um, just because you never know what your fill is going to be like, really. So it's heavily dependent on, especially the potassium side, it's heavily dependent on on whether it rains or not. So, you know, we probably plan for seven to eight 
uh, as far as making our seating recommendations and hope for nine or ten. Yep. Yep. Yeah, that's uh, that's a pretty safe realm. I I saw a lot of the guys that were planting heavier than that last year had corn on the ground, and that's no fun. So <laughs> I I like to go just a little bit less than that, and and yeah, like you say, uh, plan for seven or eight at least. Hope for nine or ten bushels per thousand on corn seeding rates. Uh, Matt, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on to today. Good luck down in Arkansas. Hopefully, it dries out a little bit down there soon. I appreciate Darren. You too. It's Farmer Friday and Ag PhD Radio, and we'll be right back after this. It's planting season. Race against the clock season. Mistakes can't happen season. And no one helps you face it all like John Deere. Putting technology in your hands that gets you in and out of the field faster that makes your spacing and depth more accurate, and that gives you the confidence that this season will be your best season. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gainground. What's new from New Farm? Longbow EC Herbicide, the latest in our portfolio of versatile weed management tools, gives you another Carfentrazone option taking aim at more than 60 broadleaf weed species. And did we mention economical? Longbow EC's low use rate makes it a flexible tank mix partner with most burned down non-selective herbicides. Ask your dealer for Longbow EC, available for fall. What does it really mean to provide the best crop nutrition? With AgroLiquid, it means getting a one-of-a-kind approach, one that caters to your specific agronomic needs. You're getting experts who will work with you to create a program unique to your operation, all while accounting for the quality of your soil and the products you're already using. It's not just a product. It's peace of mind, knowing we've thought of everything. That's the AgroLiquid way. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. The next generation of weed control in wheat, Wide AR Match Herbicide. Uh, I'm sorry, is this a typo? I mean, there's an AR in the middle of Wide Match. Mm-hmm, that's the name. It's called Wide R Match Herbicide. Oh, my bad. From the top. <clears throat> Wide R Match from Corteva AgriScience. It's not a typo. It's an upgrade. The AR stands for RLX Active for improved control of the toughest broadleaf weeds in wheat. Talk with your retailer to learn more. Protect your empire. Rule your fields with dual modes of action. Low-use rate Authority Supreme Herbicide from FMC combines Group 14 and Group 15 modes of action for pre-plant and pre-emergence control of key broadleaf weeds and grasses. A preventative application keeps your fields clean when it matters most to crop productivity. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here, along with my brother Darren. 
We're broadcasting today from the Morton studio on a Farmer Friday. If you'd like to call into the show, the number is 844-44-AG-PHD. It's what Jason from North Dakota did. Hey, Jason, how are you today? Good. How are you? Excellent. So I hear you got a question about urea. Yeah, so we uh, we just we don't raise we just raise durum wheat, um, and we variable rate our urea, and we don't use any <clears throat> excuse me slow release. Sure. Is there? I mean, what's your thoughts? I mean, should we be we did run a eighteen ninety drill? Should we be running ahead with the Selford or a Pro Till or just I mean, or what's the and I know every year is different with the volatization, and but yeah. I know it's cool in the spring, and I just always kind of, that's always what I kind of question, I guess. I think it was Jay Goose from up in up at North Dakota State University did a study, this is back probably 10 years ago, that I saw, urea. He just said, our data is showing if you don't have it worked in or rained in within 48 hours, you're going to start to lose it. And then to your okay. point, the question is how much you're going to lose. That varies tremendously depending on uh, how much residue is out there. The more residue, the more you lose because there are more enzymes and microbes and everything else. If you have more heat and more sunlight, you also are going to lose it faster. So, yes, if if it's uh, cool and cloudy and let's say the ground was already, well, you didn't have a tremendous amount of residue out there. You're not losing a lot every day, but it's just you're taking some risk. So it's it, right. it's really up to you what you want to do. And that's why we talk about nitrogen stabilizers, too. It's like, okay, you know, I'm not saying you have to do it, but it's one of these things where you just have to weigh that out. Okay, what's my risk factor versus what's the re- potential reward here? So in other yeah, words, I didn't really answer your question at all. I, I can't tell you for sure, oh, definitely do this or definitely don't do that. We You just have to understand what the risks are and you kind of go from there. The thing that almost pushes it over the top for me this year is just the cost of nitrogen. I don't mind losing right. it as much when I when it's 25 or 30 cents. When it's a dollar a unit, I'm going, man, it's just... Uh, it, it it just hurts me. It pains me to have to spend a dollar a unit on nitrogen, but I, we we have to do the same thing on our farm. Right, and I and I know some some tillage is good. I mean, just just to get that if the, if it's a heavier mat of residue and stuff, just to get it to cut through there and just dry it out because it seems like that 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 uh, soybean straw or whatever. It's just little, just kind of mucky underneath there, yep. and it, just to air it out a little bit. But, mm-hmm. uh, yep. Yeah. So, so in, yeah, that's why the the Coulter type machines are so popular up in North Dakota. So you're not compacting the ground really; you're just kind of loosening it up, fluffing it up a little bit, and then you dry it out a little faster. So a lot of guys have liked that in your geography. Right, right, and but, I know we used a pro-till on some last year, and and that I mean that really buries the the stuff. But then you always it, sometimes it can get it too too fluffy too. So yep, yep. <laughs> So, yeah, there's always good and there's bad with just about everything that you do. But, <laughs> yep, yep. I, yeah, I, I, I guess I, I just say I'm not super worried, especially when you talk wheat, because it is going to be earlier in the season and it's cooler and everything. But, yeah, there's definitely some risk there. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Thanks for your time. You bet. Good luck, Jason. Bye.
Yeah, as much as urea costs, I don't want to lose a pound of it, Brian. That's, uh, that's no, not but, cheap. No, but you can look at the forecast, too, and just say, okay, it looks like about an 80% chance of rain that's coming up here in a couple of days. Well, I'm feeling pretty good. If the forecast for the next week and a half is bone dry, I'm saying, yeah, I probably better do something here. All right, Brian, we had a question come in from Randy in Wisconsin, and, and Randy's putting the challenge out. He wants you. He didn't like your answer entirely. He didn't think you answered part of his question, and he's put a <laughs> challenge out to you, Brian. Are you ready for this? He had some ground that he said uh, on marginal ground next to planted land with tree seedlings being so inexpensive, why not put a tree line in? He said they're they're actually giving free trees well, wait, to Wait, what FFAs. was the original question? Why? Uh, he had other questions on. Uh, uh, well, what's the what's the challenge, and what oh, are, what are we talking saying, about? Just saying. So okay. so he said, why not plant a tree line there? They they're actually giving free tree seedlings to FFAs as part of a carbon offset thing. And he said, Brian, if you will answer my question about this, uh, what what would be bad about putting trees out there? Well, you said you said it's a free country and we can do what they want. But sure. if you'll answer my question, I will donate 300 tree seedlings to the FFA school program of your choice. Well, I thought you just that's said you get them very, for free. But that's very anyway. generous, Randy. <laughs> okay, I'll tell you what the downside is. Well, there's several things. The first pros so and don't cuts. Get, pros right, and cuts. Right, exactly. There there are definitely benefits to trees, but if it's right in the middle of a field, then it, let's just say that that tree line is running east and west. Well, in our geography, that means we're going to have shade. And of course, any direction it's running, you're going to have shade to some degree. So what we've typically found is around shelter belts, we'll just put grass in because I can't raise a crop. That's number one. Number two, I've now got maintenance. If I don't trim up the trees, what's happened to us in the past is I'm trying to think how many years ago this was, probably six, seven years ago, one of our guys ran into a, a tree. The, the branch was hanging out over the field, and it caught his combine auger, and that cost us several thousand dollars. We have issues with tree roots getting out into the field and creating issues with tile lines. Um, when we're near trees, for whatever reason, I don't know exactly why, we find a lot more white grubs typically. Um, let's see, I'm trying to think of any other... Dis oh, another big disadvantage. Now, we don't use much aerial application, but the farmers that do, they get concerned when they're... And I get it. When you're an aerial applicator, you got to worry about trees, you know, if you got to dip down around them or anything else. So there's another concern. There is cost in getting these trees in. So like for Darren and me, when we were kids, we helped our dad establish shelter belts. And that meant for Darren and me, we spent a lot of time watering, mowing, um, just doing anything we could to keep those trees going well, growing well, because it's not like super easy. And then the other big thing is you have no income off that, that particular area. So I'm I'm not saying people shouldn't plant trees. Trees are great. I we pl we put in shelter belts. We use trees, but to think that there's no downside to it, that's not true. There's plenty of downside to it. And this is one of the things that always gets frustrating for me when a lot of people want to badmouth farmers in general and they think, "Oh, well, why don't you just do this? And why don't you just do that?" Well, there's cost to it. I look at on our farm, for example, we have a couple of what they call watershed dams. So 
just a couple miles away from my house is the Big Sioux River. And that river used to have lots of flooding problems. So this area, and my grandpa was one of the, the instrumental people in getting this going, in this area, they basically worked with a bunch of farmers to put in dams to hold the water back. So on all this upland ground, the water didn't rush down into the river and, and flood out all the river bottom and all those farmers down there all the time. Well, on two of our fields, we're sacrificing a whole bunch of acres. And I don't know exactly what the total would be, but we're probably losing 40 acres. Okay, So if I lose 40 acres... Ground here now is selling for $10,000 an acre or more. If you do the math on that, 40 times 10,000, that's a lot of money that I'm potentially sacrificing. Plus, I get no income off that 40 acres. Uh, Other than, I'll I'll take that back, I get a little bit of pasture rent on some of it, but we don't even charge people the full amount or anything because you never know when the water's going to come up or go down or how much grass is going to be there or not. And I'm not complaining or anything else. I'm just using this as an example. And just like the same thing with trees. So a lot of people are like, oh, put trees in. Okay, well, that's got to be on somebody's ground. And when you do that, now you're sacrificing income. I, again, I'm not I'm not complaining or anything, but I'm just simply saying that for all of us as farmers and as landowners, we don't get the recognition for the good things we do. People just want to bash us on, oh, you're doing this or that or whatever, and you should just do this with your land. It's like, well, why don't you just go buy some land? And put, I'm not saying you, uh, what was the person's name here? Randy. So, yeah, I'm not saying you, Randy, but I'm just saying consumers, why don't you just go buy some land and, and put in a whole bunch of trees? It just costs money. So anyway, it's an investment in the future, an investment for good, but uh, a lot of farmers don't get the credit. The value of your farm building is in its ability to protect what's stored inside. That's why Morton Buildings ensures that every machine storage and insulated workshop we build will provide superior strength and durability. As a 100% employee-owned company, we're all committed to being the industry leader with a focus on innovation, service, quality, and most importantly, customer satisfaction. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. When you're up in your sprayer, remember to look ahead into the future. Because if you've made the smart decision to plant Enlist E3 soybeans, now's the time to protect them with Enlist herbicides. The superior tank mix flexibility easily allows multiple sites of action and keeps your weed control programs effective beyond just this season. Visit Enlist.com to see how a better weed control system can help fight resistance on your fields today and tomorrow. Ag PhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our infield research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. 
Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. What do you think of when you hear Palmer amaranth or water hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of Fierce herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. Beat resistant weeds with Tough IVC on your team. Add Tough IVC into your post-emergent tank mix and even the playing field. Tough IVC, a selective contact herbicide, synergizes HPBD inhibitors and enhances the effect of PS2 herbicides. Tough IVC increases control of some of the toughest to kill herbicide resistant weeds, such as Palmer amaranth and water hemp. Ask your local retailer about Tough IVC or visit BelchamUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio on a Farmer Friday, broadcasting from the Morton Studio, taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Brian, got this one from Belize. This is from Rodney, and he said, Guys, I got a soybean and atrazine question. This past winter, I had all my acres in sorghum. Because we planted early and got plenty of rain, the weed pressure was high. Well, we don't have many post-emerge herbicide options, so I ended up putting out two pounds of atrazine. And now for the summer crop, I'd like to go corn and soybeans, but I've never had soybeans go into this much atrazine after only six months and six inches of rain. Here's my soil conditions. <laughs> I have a 45 CEC with 5% organic matter and a neutral pH at 7. What is my risk for soybean damage? I would call it extremely high. So there's yeah, no I'd be, I'd be nervous because of the rain. And as I was reading your question, Rodney, I was like, please tell me you're getting lots of rain. Please tell me you're getting lots of rain. I was actually uh, expecting the exact opposite of what you said. I was expecting lots of rain and light soil. That's but what instead, I was too. Low rain and heavy soil, no possible way would I put soybeans into that. Yeah, and the higher the pH goes, the the longer atrazine sticks around as well. So even at a 7, it's going to stick around a little bit longer. When it's up at an 8, it's it's really persistent. So it, it's one that does flush out with rain. Uh, but what what other things would you do, Brian, in sorghum? We've got a few choices, but not a lot of choices for broadleaves. You know, if there's dicamba available in Belize with that kind of heat, I don't know if that's going to be a great opportunity for you. You can use, what, 8 ounces of dicamba in sorghum. Yep. You you can use Bucktroll or Bromoxanel. That yep. would be a, an option for some broadleaf weeds. Yeah, there aren't as many choices as we'd like in sorghum, that's for sure. So I understand, you know, hey, you got to do what you got to do sometimes. Two pounds of atrazine per acre is the legal limit here. That's the most we could we can apply legally. But man, most of the time in our, our corn soybean rotations, we're not recommending going over a half a pound just to leave rotational options open. Okay. The other things in terms of weed control up here, we get to use Husky. Now Husky's got Bucktril. It's got an HPPD that would be similar to Callisto. It's not Callisto. Okay. It's not Mesotrion, but it's similar. And then there's Starring there as well. So um, anyway, yeah, you just don't have a lot of options, but one other thing you could do pre well, make sure you're doing a good job pre-emerge. Like in sorghum, if it's concept treated, so as long as it's treated sorghum, so safened, uh, so it safens group 15 herbicides, so then you can use something like Outlook 
or uh, metolachlor dual. Uh, there's also Sharpen, and I don't remember the name off the top of my head for active ingredient, but if you just look up Sharpen pre-emerge, that works really well too in terms of broadleaf control. So anyway, yeah, it, you always have to be thinking about what you're going to rotate to whenever you're using herbicides, especially those that are persistent, like atrazine. Yeah, it's tough in, in different parts around the world uh, where there aren't as many herbicide choices. What's all and, the paper shuffling over there, well, Darren? What's going on? Here's the thing. <laughs> I, I got, I believe, 27 pages of of soil test data in from Tyler, and I was just looking for a summary sheet. And, you know, okay, here's something, too. As you're sending us soil tests, we don't necessarily need to see the maps of the field with each individual nutrient broken out. The summary sheets are good enough for us. So you we can, don't. Right. And by summary, what he means is one page that has all your data, not, oh, here's the average. We do like seeing, all right, what are the individual things? Oh, okay. okay. You got it there. Well, I got it. one of them because there's three yeah, fields great. and oh. the others, I don't see a summary sheet with with all the stuff. So if you had specific questions and you say, but, hey, look at my phosphorus map for this field, we can do that. But boy, it's tough to sort through all 27 pages and yeah. do it timely. So here. like in this one, this is really good because it's got the minimum, the maximum, and the okay. average for each of these different categories. Yep, I ahead. love that. All right. So you said uh, we got a few different fields here. Um, there are other pieces of ground we get samples on. One of the fields, uh, this is not the same field that I'm going to tell you about, 260 bushel corn, 75 bushel beans. They're trying to get up to 100 and 300, of course. And they put lime out. They've spread five tons of turkey litter out. They're strip tilling and and uh, strip tilling ahead of the corn, no tilling going into the beans. Just wondering, as you look at this field, what would it take to, to start moving it up closer to that 300 and 100, knowing that... Uh, the turkey litter is available and lime is available in their area too. Okay, so one of the big things is there's a lot of variation through the field. I'll just give you a couple of examples. Potassium, and this I'm assuming is parts per million. I don't think it's pounds per acre. I'm assuming parts per million, so we'll, we'll go with that. Yep, parts. But, it's parts per million. Okay, the potassium varies from 163 all the way to 405. Well, here, the, take a look. Now, I'll give you, now here's where the, the picture comes in handy. It's right by the place. So apparently somebody had livestock at that place at one point. Yeah. Because right, we had the same thing at our own place. Yep, yep, we did. But anyway, the phosphorus level varies from 17 all the way up to 140. So you, you got to work on getting more of your things that are low up to being at least average and above. There are also, and he mentioned lime, but you got to be paying attention to that on a regular basis because there is pH here all the way down to 5.4. We have not found that low pH hurts soybean yields as much as it hurts corn yields in our own experience. And our data from the last few years has shown it clobbers, that low yielding that low pH clobbers corn yield. It's terrible. Whereas for soybean yield, uh, we've actually still surprisingly gotten fairly decent yields here. But anyway, nevertheless, we like to get the pH in the f in the sixes as much as possible. Um, anyway, cation exchange capacity varies a lot. So you're going to have some variance through your field with yield depending on moisture each year. When you're talking 15 CEC all the way to 34 CEC, that's a big difference. And organic matter from 2.8 all the way to 
13.9. Now, I don't know if the 13.9 is real or not, but you're going to tie up a lot of things with 13.9. One of the things that I would suggest is keeping your zinc, your phosphorus to zinc ratio. What we've found with our lab that we're using, and I don't know what lab you're even using here, is a 10 to 1 ratio. So you can, you're just going to have to do some experiments with that. And, and the 10 to 1 has been P1 phosphorus, not P2. Okay, so the P1 or weak beret, uh, 10 to 1 phosphorus to zinc has been pretty good. Uh, and you've got some spots, 0.5 on zinc. I would say, too, you don't have boron on your test at all. And we found that boron absolutely can help with both corn and soybean yields. And beyond that, I don't think, well, I don't have base saturation. I don't even have a base saturation test. I'd have to run the numbers. But when I look at it, you've got a lot of calcium. You've got a lot of magnesium. And so my assumption here is your potassium's too low. I, I doubt that it's on average 4% base saturation K in your fields. And like on our farm where we're shooting for big-time yields, we'd like 5 or 6% base saturation K at least, even in the heavy soil. Let's see. Beyond that, there's no copper test here. We've also found copper definitely plays a role in yield on our farm, and having that phosphorus to copper ratio is really important. Somewhere around 30 to 1 for us has done it. I don't know what it'll be for you, but you got to make sure you have copper out there because that's key for disease tolerance. Um, that's, uh, that's probably... Oh, one last thing. Sulfur. The highest level you have on sulfur is 27 parts per million. 27. That's the highest. We'd like 50 to 100. So I'm not saying you have to be at 100, but you probably need to be at 50. If you're there, then you're going to have better nitrogen efficiency in your crops. So you can either get by on less nitrogen or the nitrogen you're using is going to help you get higher yields. But yeah, the sulfur is really low. So Anyway, you got, you got a few things to work on, but a lot of it comes back to kind of evening things out, variable rating stuff, and looking at, okay, where are my high yield zones? And let's try to match up fertility on the other areas where my high yield zones are at, and then I think you'll be in a lot better shape. All right, thanks for the question. I got this one in from Jamie down in Missouri. He said, Brian often talks about planting corn into cold soils. He talks about 40-degree yep. soil temps. Yep. Well, we get 40-degree soil temps a lot sooner than you do. I'm yep. wondering what is the point where you can stick corn in the ground and what's the trick to making it work at 40-degree soil temps? Well, first of all, I'm not going to advise you do it before your first crop insurance planting date. So if crop insurance is saying hey, it's not time to plant, well, you might want to just keep that seed in the bag. If you want it to grow well, you want to have a great cold germ score. So get your seed in early, test it for cold ger the cold germination test. You want at least 85, preferably 90 or 95 for the cold germination test. Beyond that, you want a good seed treatment, making sure you have some biologicals. Some of the biologicals we've been using help pop that seed out of the ground 10 to 20% faster. For corn, I'd use a little bit of inferro fertilizer, a low rate, low salt product, little inferro fungicide, and a little inferro insecticide. You do those things, take a few extra steps, and it'll really help you in those cold soils. And thanks for the question, Jamie, and thanks to you for listening. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.